meditation 10 day thing and it was in february and i just got this idea that i want to do mm-hmm. something for children not necessarily for little kids but something which children will understand and appreciate and the thought i had was actually to do um something about the refugee camps uh which the sindhis were uh, you know they were, that was their home for a while many of them had nowhere to go so they went to live in the camps and you know what they did there mm-hmm. and how things turned out for them so that was a first thought in my mind and i actually mm-hmm. started with that trying to understand looking at the camps how they've transformed you know they started off as these british army camps and they were all refurbished when the second world war was happening because there was a lot of troop movement so they had the infrastructure and when the mm-hmm. time came and you know there were a lot of refugees pouring into the um truncated india the mm-hmm. government used them because they had the existing infrastructure they had these barracks they had i suppose they had kitchens and stuff everything was very run down because it hadn't been used for a few years but they moved in their personnel and of course it became like you know also a way to number people and discipline them and you know make sure that they don't run amok or whatever governments do when there's a large population of people um mm. so i started looking at that and then i wanted to also have um, uh, good quality illustrations to go with the book and i was very lucky to find uh, an artist who was got really enthusiastic when i shared my idea because what i wanted was historically authentic pictures which we don't have because we don't have photos and i also wanted um the faces to be recognizable you know whoever it was whether it was somebody who told me their story or whether it was a well known person I needed the artist to be somebody who could do that and I was extremely lucky to just be recognized you know, asked somebody I said can you do it and she said no I can't and then uh so then I said okay do you know someone who can she said yeah I know this guy Shubhadeep Mukherjee and he's excellent mm-hmm. so I connected with him and then we started working we actually started with the illustrations before I started writing and oh. then um when I um uh, got down to writing it was initially so the first few photos were about the camps and you know what it was like and then when i started writing it came to me that i need to be telling a larger story i mean it i had to i had to start from the beginning and mm-hmm. 
I have a lot of work. I've done a lot of work. It's been about 10 years now. I've interviewed so many people. I actually, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm going to sit and count now one of these days because I'm planning to, um, 1947 Partition Archive very kindly asked me for my interview Mm -hmm. files. So I am going to give, give them all to them if I can. But I, in that, in that process, I'll be able to count and, you know, kind of, uh, archive them properly with uh, dates and you know mm. the details about the person and so on so, and i think i don't mm. think there are less than 300 that's quite a, a decent number so what i what i thought i need to do is pick out stories of representative experiences and uh, mm. i usually when i'm doing something like this i just let the person speak even if i'm writing it it's in the other person's voice and that's something mm. i think I mean, I've been doing that for years and works pretty well. The people who I've done it with have always appreciated their voice coming through, their experiences, you know, what they wanted to say coming through. So when I started, I was actually going to do each story individually, you know, as in, hi, I'm Situ and I'm so-and-so and and this is what happened to me. And I started off like that. But then I thought it's just too confusing for it child or even for anyone you know when you read it and um, it's a bit abrupt and then suddenly it became um, Situ that's my mom taking over and uh, I had already written quite a bit by then probably about one third of the book by then or at least one third uh, of the stories that I had thought should go in and then suddenly it just got taken over without uh, and in a way, it was really good thing because as I went along, I realized that because it's my mother saying it, she's saying much more than I may have said on my own. Like, for example, you know, when she talks about not passing the language on to uh, her children, I wouldn't have said that. I mean, to me, not knowing Cindy, it's okay. You know, I couldn't be bothered. You know, I know English and that's fine. It works well for me. People ask me, you know, um, you're writing about Sindh and um, how come you don't know Sindhi? I mean, I don't know Sindhi, you know, for me and for so many people of Sindhi parents who don't know the language, it's just, you know, one of those collateral uh, effects of partition and it's absolutely fine. But for my mom, that mm. was something that, it, it, you know, only later when there was nothing she could do about it, she would say, well, we should have uh, taught, we should have spoken to you in our own languages, you'd have learned both the languages. So something like that. And it's such a big thing in the community, you know, because most kids didn't learn the language. They, they may have picked it up because it was spoken at home, but it wasn't spoken mm. to them. So they wouldn't, you know, they would reply to their parents in the local language or in English or whatever. So mm-hmm. that's how it happened that my mom, uh, uh, who who actually died eight years ago. So it was really, uh, you know, just the part of her that still lives on in me, which was speaking. And it was quite effective, I think. Mm-hmm. What did you yes, think of it, yes. Manjula? I think you should tell me because... Uh, no, I, I think it's a very, it's very interesting because it's got like all these things about, you know, Cindy's having three scripts and, you know, all like these are things that one doesn't know about at all, you know, uh, all these, there's a lot of like, and Julie, the significance of Julie Lal. So let's talk about that. Julie Lal, you know, uh, for, for the Hindus, is Julie Lal, but he's something else for the Muslims of Sindh, but he's the same deity, right? 
So, so before Julie Lal, I, I'll tell you something about what I know. The people who I've interviewed, a large majority mm-hmm. of them were Nanak Panthis in Sindh. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so technically, I mean, you know, if you had to fill a census form and write your religion, tick your religion a box, you would say you're a Sikh, right? But I don't think it was possible mm-hmm. because uh, when the British had their first census in Sindh, they didn't actually offer Sikhism as a, a religion because that was restricted oh. to, yeah, I think so. You know, I think I've read this somewhere, but I'll tell you something mm-hmm. that happened to me yesterday. I was interviewing this amazing gentleman. His name is Hiro Hingorani. He's 97. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I have interviewed him in the past as well. And he's so full mm-hmm. of, uh, uh, you know, memories. And he's an artist himself. He's a an actor. He is a really colorful personality. And um, so I hadn't seen him for a few years, I think about five years. And yesterday we did a Zoom call and I had interviewed him for something else. You know, he gave me a lot of information then. But yesterday I wanted to uh, uh, talk to him about him. And Mm. uh, one of the things I asked him was about religion. And I said, uh, you know, what was your religion? I mean, I just wanted to see what he'd say. He he actually told me this, that we are Hindus and Sikhism mm-hmm. is something that is only in Punjab. And I don't know how it got into Sindh. And he kept denying his Sikhism, even though he had to tell me that we had, uh, you know, we followed the Guru Granth, we followed the Sikh rituals. But there is this thing which is so strong that, you know, uh, these divisions that came up, which weren't there in Sindh. I mean, in Sindh, if you went to a temple, then there would be a Guru Granth Sahib there. There would be Guru Nanak's picture on the wall. Hmm. Yes, I've seen. I've seen. I've been to many Sindhi households which have like Guru Nanak uh, and Granth and everything. So. Yeah. So, Julilal, yeah, of course, Julilal was, uh, uh, you know, big in Sindh in the sense that there were, uh, you know, mythological folk hero and uh, also on both sides of, I mean, you know, I don't think really there was that much of a division between the two communities because there were so many things which were in common. Of course, the language and the, you know, certain habits and certain ways of thinking. And um, Julilal, I can't uh, give you too much information, but I do know that it was probably Ram Panjwani who, um, you know, created the iconized uh, Julilal, which is not a bad thing. Also, I think I mentioned that in the book because it does give Sindhi something to feel, yeah, this is ours, you know, and give, it helps with that sense of belonging and identity. Yeah, then you what I found again to go back to this thing about the scripts. Yeah. You know, I found that really fascinating about the three scripts and how you know, uh, or how each of them evolved. I mean, I think I've marked it here. You know, talk about the business script which had no vowels. <laughs> yeah. Which is just to keep business. Yeah. Secrets. That's fascinating. Yeah. You know. What's it called? Hatwanaki. That's right. Yeah, yeah. it's Hatwanaki, and I, it's very hard to find somebody who actually knows that script anymore. I have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, somebody like some years ago, I was doing a module for Sahapedia uh, on uh, the Sindhwarkis, which is one of the communities mm-hmm. which had. Um, which were trading internationally through the ports and they had retail outlets in the ports and some of them had retail chains. 
And, uh, you know, traditionally, they, as well as the Shikarpuri uh, traders and the bankers, they were using Mm. the script. And uh, so the person who I met, you know, who was looking for somebody who will be able to write down the alphabet and give it to me. And, Mm. uh, uh, yeah, he said his father taught him and, uh, you know, he did write it and give it to me. But he can't, he couldn't probably write sentences the way he would have been able to. Uh, in the past. So, and the example, the, the image that I gave in the book is of something mm. I found in Haridwar, where I was researching okay. on a family's, uh, Moinani family history. And we went to their priest and we saw in the register the entries made by their ancestors going all the way back to 1852, which is really mm. amazing because there was no, the railways hadn't yet come to Sindh at that time. So that means yeah. the, you know, people who came, they came in groups, of course, they didn't come as individuals, a community like would like a hundred people would set out probably on camels and bullock carts and whatever and arrived in Haridwar. And then the priest was also a Sindhi priest. Mm. And uh, so uh, those registers have, um, pages which have entries in Hatwanki as well as in Sindhi as well as in English which were the languages which were written by yeah, you know they are there are old old entries in English as well because these guys were trading internationally and of course mm. uh, they would have to know I mean, they were citizens of the British Empire that's how they were able to get access into some of these countries uh, so of course the English was excellent I mean really good handwriting well-educated uh, sentence you know the sentence structure was strong and uh, the way of expressing themselves was good so it when and the other script which I mentioned in the book I don't think I mentioned English as a script you know that's something that just came up mm-hmm. now but the other script I mentioned mm-hmm. was Gurmukhi which was really important because that's how yes. you read your scriptures and again, coming back to, mm. uh, uh, you know, Mr. Hingorani and I've had this with others as well. You know, they would say, no, I, I would ask to, just to see what they said. But you were a Sikh, right? Mm. You followed Guru Nanak. You, uh, you know, all the Sikh rituals. No, no, we are Hindus. So that again is something mm. which I look at as what happened because of partition and maybe to an extent what happened after Indira Gandhi was killed also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's um, so they just identify Sikhs as people from Punjab also. Yeah, even actually. though most of them, so many, you know, they still uh, will uh, uh, recite the from the Japji and they will sing. They love the songs and you know they f- follow the rituals, which are far less complicated and you know more straightforward than uh, what uh, some other some of the Hindu than some of the Hindu rituals are, yeah. Hmm. hmm. It was quite fascinating, this 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 bit. You know, you mentioned it. that you like the intimacy of the book, so I really wanted to know more about that. Hmm. You know, I like the fact that these stories are coming out, you know, and it's like personal stories. So, um, you know, and but through those personal stories, you get an idea of what life is like, not just in the camps, but in Sindh and what was left behind. Because really, you know, I mean, we know about um, uh, Punjabi, uh, the Punjabi experience of partition much more. And it's only recently, like when people like you have been writing about it, that the Sindhi experience of partition is also, you know, coming up. But the reaction to this event by both groups is very different right 
So uh, my sense is that when, uh, uh, you know, partition in Punjab was so, so violent, there was so much blood, there were so many atrocities. I don't think there's a single family that could have escaped that, you know, they would have seen something, something would have happened to them. And that was the dominating, uh, you know, the the bulk of the narrative you know even though there were so many other things this because it was so horrifying it was so crazy this had to be uh, you know the most important thing that everybody was talking about and i think that's one of the reasons why the sindhis just didn't feel that they had anything to say because nothing really like that happened to them i, I i'm not saying there was in the book you mentioned the karachi pogrom yeah you know which i never heard of before yeah honestly i'd never heard of it before well so. that that's something that is marked uh, it's now you know something that people are grudgingly acknowledging so i mm-hmm. read the word pogrom first associated with that event in nandita bhavnani's mm-hmm. book the making of exile and it's just called a pogrom without dis- describing it or you know i mean of course the events that took place are mentioned but it just says this uh, 6 january pogrom and i was so impressed because that is exactly what it was and you know we've only ever thought of that word as coming out of the holocaust but it did happen it did happen in karachi and before that karachi was relatively free of violence um I, I, again uh, last month i interviewed parshram parab again who i've uh, interviewed in the past he is uh, uh, his family is originally from malwan which is on the konkan coast mm-hmm. and they speak Mar- I and mean, he went to marathi medium school in karachi and he loved 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 karachi because that was his hometown mm-hmm. i mean he was uh, he, he was 17 when partition took place and they left and it's mm-hmm. what i mean you know what he told us is so lovely and now when we went back in last a few weeks ago he actually was crying when he said that you know i still remember them saying ye kaun sa azadi hai jo ek dusre ko alag kiya and uh, that's what he remembers as and he kept saying karachi was such a lovely clean uh, a peaceful place we didn't have any you know we just accepted it as it was we only realized how clean and peaceful it was uh, it was when we left and we had other places to compare it to so um it, this yeah the 6 january thing happened when there was a massacre and the exodus uh, major exodus happened after that so uh, you know i remember you once seeing like i mean i during some discussion with um, about one of your previous books you know say talking about the uh, the feelings of the sindhi muslims in pakistan you know yeah 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 so let's talk about that their their reactions to uh, post whatever happened right so i think it was equally traumatic for them because in sindh before partition and especially in the cities uh, the hindus were the middle class they were uh, uh, you know the in in the administration they were managing things uh they were also the traders who uh, you know people relied on for their supplies and uh the uh, they were a minority but they were a prosperous minority and the majority were not they had not made use of the education system that the british had brought in whereas most of the hindus had just leapt onto it as an opportunity and used it and 
you know, you know, they themselves, they invested in education in a tremendous way. And they also uh, built DJ Synth College, which is still a college in Karachi. I think it's called, uh, they haven't, they haven't changed the name. They still call it DJ, which is Dayaram Jaitmal uh, Science College uh, in Karachi. Mm-hmm. So um, they found that they were lost. The, there were, uh, you know, new population had come in to take those places of authority and uh, mm. those people did not understand them and they kind of negated them. And even today, the way we have in India a stereotype of Sindhis, which is not very positive. I mean, now mm. that may be changing, but I know that when I was a kid, uh, we, you know, in, in every movie we saw, if there was a Sindhi character, it would be a very negative one, greedy and, you know, peculiar and... Uh, exploitative kind of a person so I don't I mean of course you know I always say this I'm not trying to say Sindhis are good I'm trying to I mean the point is that if you take any population and you measure them on any parameter of human behavior you're going to get a bell curve and that's something that we all learned in school so I don't know why we we shouldn't you know think that Sindhis are bad and you know somebody else is good or whatever but when it comes Mm -hmm. to the Muslims uh, the majority population in Sindh so um, they were really, I mean, there was, uh, the, it was not a religious difference. The, the difference was more economic. And there was, it, was, it was a lot of affection. There was a lot of uh, dependence on each other. And when we went back, when I went to Karachi with my family in uh, February 2013, that was to launch my first book, which was uh, uh, Stories from a Vanished Homeland. Since Stories from a Vanished mm-hmm. Homeland, it was published in Pakistan by Oxford University Press as in stories from a lost homeland because they didn't want to use the vanished because they said, no, no, we're still here. We may be lost, but we're not vanished, <laughs> whatever. Uh, and um, there we went to this meeting at the Karachi Press Club. Which, I mean, we were received with so much of affection. I, I mean, it was just overwhelming. And similarly at the Karachi Press Club. Now, normally we know that journalists tend to be like, you know, very um, suspicious and, you know, cynical and all that and with good reason. But there what we saw was people just just hearts overflowing with affection and they were even saying things like, why did you leave? Why don't you come back? And <laughs> I didn't really have a polite answer to that. But um, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, uh, the I, I, I just remembered something which happened on um, just two, three days ago. So I recently published this book uh, of partition poetry and it was launched on a platform on um, Facebook and Zoom. So uh, it was really interesting hmm. because the writer, and she's written this these little Sindhi partition poems and she lives in the US. She's quite young. She has little children. Her husband is a scientist who works in the US and they, she grew up in Bombay. Now she, uh, uh, I wasn't. So she arranged for this event, which was held by something called the Sindhi Foundation, and uh, so the somebody representing the Sindhi Foundation was there, and he was a Muslim from Sindh who lives in the U.S. now. Mm. Then they had another guy who was a Hindu, but he was also from Pakistan and now living in Canada. 
so that was extremely interesting because we had those two then of course we had our, the the poet herself and the chief guest was mohan gehani who is a sindhi poet and he's absolutely wonderful he's an extremely nice person he's a very very skilled writer and he would have probably been around 15 years old or maybe 16 years old during partition so he didn't grow up with the sindhi language and literature uh it it he was you know he had okay. he, uh so his influences were also displaced uh and it was so interesting to hear there was there was uh, somebody called mir muzaffar and he huh. was he he spoke about the poems and it was so very interesting to see the different viewpoints that people from these different populations have their reactions were different you know because we are talking about the hindu experience of partition from sindh and uh, the the things they mm. said it just tells you that 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 community is so the whole process is so of you know being scattered is so complex and now as people try to pick up the pieces and come together you have all these different things which have happened like i was saying you know you have hindus who uh, left from pakistan and uh, it's quite interesting like what i found is that there's a group who talk who are always talking about the hindu minority rapes and conversions in uh, among you know which uh, of course i mean that's a horrible thing to happen it's really it's really not good but you know when you start using it as a political tool and you uh, it's just a little interesting that you know all this is another manifestation of this in the hindu experience of partition you know this this big community that didn't leave at that time and a lot of them mm-hmm. are absolutely comfortable and living a, a normal life like most minorities wherever they are do tend to settle mm-hmm. and you know they do yeah they're quite comfortable doing whatever they're doing mm-hmm. so yeah so that's do i notice i know i noticed you mentioned uh, this family where Uh, somebody's a sahiya those or a she yeah gitanjali she yeah. so she gitanjali lives in bombay and she as a as a teenager would go back to sindh along with hmm. both her grandmothers and they would go to hyderabad which is where her grandmothers had grown up and always lived and most hmm. of their relatives i mean all their relatives had uh, converted so you know i think it's really important for us as indians to understand the that you know when there are people from the other side of the border we don't have to be influenced by propaganda instead of that we just need mm. to respect their loyalties we need to respect their patriotism and just leave it at that you know the thought of leaving was too much for them so they just... so i think most people left i mean very few the ones who stayed behind may have done so as you said because it was more a uh, convenient i mean you know if you convert what does it mean it doesn't really mean anything you know but there were many mm-hmm. who didn't who wanted to retain their original status and they left and there are many there are like thousands who didn't leave because they were not living in the cities they were living in the villages they are what we call dalits now and which they recognize as dalits in um, pakistan as well which <laughs> I realized to my surprise at a conference I attended in Paris some years ago and there were three separate papers on the dalits of sindh so you know when we say that 
Hindus don't have a caste system. That's probably not true. I mean, what is what may be true is most of the Hindus who left were from uh, you know they were swarnas. They were not Dalits. You know. Okay. Okay, so the ones who were left had like this double sort of bind. So they were. Just, it's they, just so complicated. Some, I mean, some tried to stay on, and then they were either killed or they were thrown out. Like I mentioned, uh, Pribdas Tolani, who was this really wealthy landowner, he didn't think. I mean, he was so powerful, he never thought he needed to leave, but he was jailed by the mm-hmm. government, and he was finally released on condition that he leave Pakistan and never come back. Which meant that they just wanted his land, right? So. Uh, you know, there are so many instances like that where there was actually a state collusion in getting people out. Hmm. hmm. Like, you know, uh, what I liked about your book was also that there are all these stories, you know, we know about uh, Bhagat Singh and all, but who knows about, uh, you know, Hemu Kalani? Hemu Kalani is now, you know, hopefully we'll be able to talk about him more because there are people doing research on both sides of the border and, you know, we are actually planning a collaboration so that there's research done with his family as well as in Sakhar, where he grew up, where he was jailed, where he was hanged. And uh, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll be able to come out with something on that. But there were so many others. And I've mentioned a few of them. Like there was this guy called who they used to call Bogus because he was yes. <laughs> so good at forging <laughs> signatures. He was an artist and, you know, the kind of, interesting things uh, that he was able to do for the movement with those skills and a few of the others as well, including some girls and, you know, children. Of course, Aim Kalani was himself a child because he was killed when he was only 19 yeah. years old. 19 years old? Hanging a 19-year-old? I mean, yeah. Well, he didn't give the names of the others, that's all. I mean, they just wanted the names of the others and they, uh, you know, he called their bluff. Yeah. And also, you know, by, by Pratap. I mean, he's also a forgotten figure, right? So he's more him. than forgotten, you know. There, for so many years, there was a state of scandal about him, which is so sad. I mean, this is what happens, right? When, when the community is just flung apart and there's nothing, you know, you're just uh, trying to get on and all kinds of things happen. So this is part of that. Bhai Pratap was an amazing person. And um, mm-hmm. I, I've tried to, you know, kind of talk about that. Uh, a little yes and hopefully yeah. you know he can come back like for example it was he who actually you know if you're looking for somebody who founded Kandla Port it was he who did it because he's the one who actually built it and even uh, Kandla being a free trade zone and way back in 1965 who would think of that not the government of India it was not the government of India it was Bhai Pratap who knew international trade but then when you look for anything to do with Kandla Port, there's no public document which mentions his name. And this is the this is one of the things that happens with the Sindhis. Why is that? Why is that? I don't know. It's probably being a, a community with no land and with, with without not being large enough to be a vote bank. Hmm. You know, you you when you leave your place, and you can't go back. So when I was a kid, it, it, I only ever thought of it as okay. So they left and they came, and now they're fine. You know, so what's the big deal? Hmm. And hmm. and then you uh, you know you don't even feel sorry for them for losing their things because things are only things. Hmm. You can always get them again, right? And they did, and hmm. they did by hmm. far. I mean, more than what they had. Most of them did that. 
But then mm. when you start looking at it, and that's what happened to me, you realize language is gone. And it's a tremendous language. The philosophy, you know, the words that they have in that language, the words that are used by common people, they mm. encompass ways of thinking, which is lost. And, mm. you know, really like... Um, it it was like this when when we talk about lack of uh, the less violence i mean those that's what's inside that language you know why we value life because life is precious you know why we don't uh, kill people why we don't get our throw our women in the well to preserve the so called family honor because life is precious women are you know people and so okay so the language is gone the culture is gone the music is gone but the history is also gone and that's something that i realized of late which is that the history is gone you don't remember the people at all i mean you know you don't remember the the um landscape where education was so important and uh you know something uh one of the things that i found and was so interesting is that people would work in the administration and then mm-hmm. when they were in their 40s they would move into education they would work as school teachers Uh, or they would be uh, working uh, like Bhirumal, somebody who was in the salt department. And uh, he became a Sindhi professor at DJ Sindh College. He wrote so much and the kind of research that he did because of his travels being in the salt department, he documented family histories. He documented so much. And that's so useful to us because nobody else has that. And the, the, the families themselves haven't kept anything. But Berumal's work is really a tremendous resource for us. I mean, it's all in Sindhi. So how do you access his work? Where is his work now? That's the thing. It's mostly in libraries. And uh, uh, mm-hmm. there are a few things, a few of his books, which have been translated into English. And there's somebody, mm-hmm. there, there's this Kimatrai couple Shakun and Nara and Shakun is still very much on, uh, you know an online person she does podcasts and she does like lots of stuff so she has a blog on which this whole uh, thing about the hindus of sindh and their surnames and a lot of information about different families is just you know it's been online for the last i think at least 10 years maybe more Uh, but Bhirumal's stuff is in libraries and I once asked uh, the Indian Institute of Sindology to send me one of his books and they promptly sent it and then I opened it and I realized, I mean, it's all Greek to me because I, it's written in Sindhi. I can't understand a word of it. Yeah. And, but I've also heard, just in fact, two days ago, uh, the editor of Sindh Courier, Nasir Ejaz, he, I sent him a photo and I said, do you recognize anyone here? And he said, no, but Behrumal's books have lots of photos like this. So that's when I learned that Behrumal's books had photos, you know. Mm. Uh, and that's another mm. thing because there's a lot of stuff in Sindh, but we don't have access to it. So we just have to make yeah. our own arrangements, sometimes jump, you know, make conclusions which may, which may not be accurate it's not easy it's like really so complicated hmm and some of these things are really very very insightful like i didn't know this this picture about hyderabad was a prosperous city with some unique things about it like the wind catchers that kept home school so this was an architectural feature of hyderabad where they had these fan things they had these funnel things on the roof yeah and they there are i've heard about uh, you know vaguely i don't know for sure but i've heard people say that some of the arab countries also have you know some of the towns 
have uh, something similar. But it was famous in Hyderabad. And Hyderabad being a prosperous city, that's very much linked to these traders who had who were trading in uh, international ports and they were bringing so much money. All their money came back into Hyderabad and, it, you know, they had all these fancy homes and they were also investing in mm. the civic development of the city. Mm. So actually mm. when... And this, this this map that you've put down is also very interesting. It shows where all Sindhis went, the Sindhi Varkis. Yeah, so where that's all this French researcher, Claude Markowitz, who uh, hmm. stumbled on the, these two uh, trade networks. You know, here we're talking about this world economy, which is pretty much dominated by Europe, right, in the 19th century. Hmm. And you've got these hmm. two Sindhi networks, both, uh, you know, the Shikarpur is north of Sindh, and that was going into, uh, it was touching the camel trade, right? So coming from uh, hmm. the Central Asia and further east and heading into Iran. And they... Uh, they did a lot of trading on those routes. And because those routes were so dangerous, they set up this banking system by which you didn't have to actually carry your money. You could just, uh, you know, give it to somebody on the route and uh, they give you a hundi and you can collect the money anywhere. You can just even <laughs> this is Havala, right? I mean, well, uh, that comes in when you have regulations, right? So here we are talking about... Yes. Uh, uh, money it's, being, it's a trade uh, it's basically based on trust where you give somebody yes. money and he gives you a piece of paper and you can collect it anywhere from any of his branches or anywhere on that route mm-hmm. and the best of all is you can send it home to your family in Shikarpur and they can you know cash it there and do whatever they want with it so that mm-hmm. developed into a banking system it's pretty advanced, actually, you know, because they were doing all these foreign exchange instruments and all kinds of things. No, I was saying then you have the other other uh, traders who are bringing in cash from, uh, you know, all the ports around the world. And that's not just uh, Aden and Gibraltar, but all around the way, South, South America, I mean, the uh, east coast of Africa, the uh, Canary Islands, and then the and on the other side, you know, you're, you're I mean, starting from Singapore and um, Thailand and Indonesia and uh, blah, 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 all the way around Japan, China. So uh, mm-hmm. there was so much money coming in. And uh, actually, you know, Sindh was a part of uh, when it was um, annexed by the British, which was a very illegal thing mm-hmm. they did. They made it a yes. part of the Bombay province. And that was mm-hmm. fine. I mean, you know, everybody got used to that for quite a while. Uh, and nearly 100 years later, 19, in, in 1936, it was separated from the Bombay province. And I remember reading mm-hmm. this somewhere that one of the big problems was that it was a, uh, the whole burden of the economy would fall on the Hindu traders, you know. Mm-hmm. So there was definitely, they were expecting a deficit and they were saying, oh, no, we can't separate it because then Bombay will have to support it and stuff like that. But anyway, it happened and that happening uh, was actually what led the way to partition. Because it was in the Sindh assembly that the it became like the Hindus became a minority and then the Muslim League became the party and then it was in the Sindh assembly that the resolution for Pakistan was passed. Okay, so, you know, I also found this these bits about, you know, uh, apart from, you know, this thing about uh, the wind thing and all. So, with this Sindhology Department of Sindh University, now this, you know, 
it is like the this tarachand was protected yeah. from harm and has been restored yeah. statue and preserved in the synthology department so there are synthology departments in in synth clearly actually so, we have one in india as well there's a an indian institute of synthology which is in gandhidam yeah. which is the place which the town which was founded by bhai pratap and which gastolani uh, okay. the one who was put in jail and uh, you know released he he started uh, on the condition that he never comes back to pakistan so he had all the yes. colleges in gandhidam were i mean he came uh, to bombay without anything and then he um, built homes and then he became a construction magnate and then he built these colleges philanthropy right so he set up all the colleges in gandhidam mm-hmm. so uh, mm-hmm. at some point these elderly sindhi gents there were four of them and they uh, they were on the verge of retirement and they decided to go and live there and do something for sindhi culture and they Mm-hmm. uh set up something called the Indian Institute of Synthology and there that's a center which all of us use it's so precious i mean they're so good they're so uh, responsive you know uh, there's somebody called Sai Bijani there who uh, is who heads it now uh, and mm-hmm. i mean i just have to send him a message and he'll immediately send me whatever i want it's just so so nice they have uh, like these behrman's books which i was telling you about they have a lot of stuff they have a mm-hmm. library they have music and they he is himself a writer so you know they do these events and there are a lot of sindhis in the community so in pakistan i'm assuming they have uh, and, and the the one they have at jamshoro but i've also heard of one in the us so i don't know exactly what their connections are or anything like that this this uh, thing about the carpet is also a lovely story the parting present yeah it's so precious it's a guy who Uh, who is still hoping that one day he will be able to return that carpet to the person he thinks i mean he's just uh, you know looking after it till then till he finds the uh, grand grandchildren or great grandchildren of his grandfather's best friend who was given all these things when the family left it but this per, per, none of the descendants have got in touch I mean you know I keep writing about it and it keeps uh, getting passed around on WhatsApp and on whatever whatever but nobody's ever come up and said yeah this is us it's very hard to know how I mean you know it's it's true it's not a huge population it's finite but yeah. somehow we yeah. just haven't made them. maybe it'll still happen because people do find each other uh you know you, mm. you don't expect it to happen suddenly it happens so let's hope it'll happen with the carpet as well hmm it's a lovely story <laughs> thanks Huh. Why? Why is Mohenjo Daro spelled like this? Is this the spelling, like you know? Because usually we spell it. Yeah, I know. It's mm-hmm. uh, 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 yeah. I'm actually a bit ambivalent about that. That's the way it's said in Sindhi, and you know, even okay. similarly, uh, there's a word, the word Brahmin in Sindhi. They say Brahman, mm-hmm. so I usually okay. write it with an A instead of an I. uh yeah i mean oh. i don't know it's just like you know when you're reading it you notice it's different oh. and then you realize okay here's a community that lost everything right that's all it's just basically not for any other reason except to give the reader the uh, remind the reader about that mm-hmm. so where did you get the story of rusi uh, and the uh, nasik i mean the aswali camp so that's my friend rashna who's a an english teacher mm-hmm. at jb petit whom you might know her dad yes yes i know yeah so oh. it was her dad and i was so so lucky to meet him 
Uh, and uh, this was in um, 2011, I think, when I interviewed him and um, he gave me the story. And all, he was crying when he told me this. It's something he never forgot. He was in his 80s at that time. Hmm. So again, it's just luck, right? Coming across uh, somebody who has, and there's so many different stories. And what I did when I was doing this book is to pick out the most, what I thought were the most interesting. Of course, I've left out many more, which may also be considered equally or more interesting. But also they Hmm. were messages which I wanted to pass on, which I, um, you know, like Rusi's story is so amazing because it just like, uh, it shows us something that we couldn't imagine. We didn't. We didn't know this, right? That there were trains coming in filled with people and sitting on the top and wearing white and all that. You know the way he's he remembered it so vividly, and uh, mm-hmm. a squalor of the camp and of a teacher, a professor of French and Persian who's lost everything. He's standing there in the camp and he's frying tikis to sell to his fellow um, refugees or evacuees or whatever you call them. Terrible, man. Terrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but then again, don't forget, they were still alive, unlike so many others who had been decapitated and, you know, whatever. Hmm. So, some people never left the the camps, is it? So, then what happened to them? Yeah, I think... So, they did know. There are people who still live there. They built up, like, so they they were converted from uh, shacks into uh, blocks, and then after that, people are, um, you know, they've gone through that whole process of redevelopment. And so there are people who still live there whose families came. It's the same in Pitri mm-hmm. also. Hmm. Yeah, it's like how Delhi, uh, Delhi colonies yeah, uh, yeah, originally, yeah. Yeah. originally partitioned refugee colonies, but now you never know that. Yeah. You know that. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kalyan, yeah. in fact, is very sad because the, the civic authorities are really so inept. I mean, there aren't that many Sindhis left there. There are some families whose, whose families came from Sindh. Uh, but a lot mm-hmm. of the, uh, it, it's an indigenous kind. I mean, it's like a very mixed population. Uh, but mm-hmm. I do know that the municipality is rubbish. I mean, you know, they have buildings falling down and things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the land is so expensive because it's right near Bombay. It's almost Bombay prices. So you buy something and then it, you get your money gets stuck. Or your house gets built and then it collapses. So that's kind of something that keeps going on. Hmm. Though, I mean, uh, I remember when I was reading this book, I remembered, you know, when we were in school, uh, the joke was, uh, you know, USA. Was US, <laughs> everything is made in USA. Yeah. And then you'd all laugh and say, ah, ha, ha, it's made in Ulaska. <laughs> it was almost like how we behave when we see Chinese made yeah. now. So, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. But that's a particularly 80s thing, I think. I think it's actually maybe even 70s. I mean, 70s and 80s is when USA became a thing and it was all being sold on the pavements of Bombay at Fountain and Fort around that area. And it was USA, but guess where it was coming from? (laughs) I mean, it's no longer uh, subsequent generations would never even get this joke. Yeah, <laughs> really, really. I heard, I'm talking about Fountain and Fort, I heard somebody once told me about how this guy, you know, when we talk about Sindhis and their reputation, he said that there, there was this guy who would go and sit down and eat a hearty meal and then uh, he wouldn't pay the bill and he would say you can collect it from the government of India. I've lost everything because of them. <laughs> hmm. That's that's really sad, actually. What to do? <laughs> Yeah. 
And you know, I didn't know that Sindh got no monsoon. I mean, so it's that like Karachi gets rain, but uh, mm-hmm. our country don't. They don't. I like the you. You never see an umbrella anywhere. Like my mom said. I mean, I was shocked when you know my the first book. It was ready for press. Everything was done, and then she said, "You know what? I'd never seen an umbrella." So then I quickly pulled back the pages and <laughs> wrote that in. <laughs> What about this pala? Is it pala fish? It's pala, pala, pala. Yeah, pala. It's a. How do like Hindis get pala? Do they still like? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's pala? like they say it's like the, it's the same as a hilsa, but obviously the taste yeah. of the fish is going to be different depending, you know, on the water that and the uh, the bio whatever that it's grown up in, right? So, but I think it's the mm-hmm. same um, uh, breed as the hilsa. Lots of bones and. Quite common, oh. yeah. Oh, so I mean, you know, because you know, when I grew up, there were like lots of Sindhis, you know, in Kolaba, yeah, 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 yeah. and so, so you know, I was familiar with the food and how lotus stem and seed, you know, the whole lotus yeah. pod thing. Yeah, you know, that's such a part of the food and like really delicious food. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I was remembering all that when I was reading the book. <laughs> <laughs> how nice. How nice. I think, you know, when I started writing, I didn't know like that was like more than 10 years ago. I didn't know that it was going to be so interesting. I honestly thought it was a bit boring and not very attractive. And all of a sudden, you know, I kept getting these stories and kept getting these insights and kept getting these glimpses into something which was so amazing. And, uh, you know, now when I look at all the work I've done, I just feel this mm. is not, I'm not going to write anything else. I mean, this book has got everything. It's like the culmination of my last 10 years of research. And I have so much stuff. I don't need to write a book. You know, every day, I just it's like I have this big treasure box. Every day, I'll just pick out a jewel and I'll post it on social media. You know, that's all I need to do to share my story anymore. Hmm. Well, never say never. I'm sure you'll write more books about these. I mean, come on. I'm sure you thought this, SARS, when you started with your first Sindhi book and you've just been going on. I know, but I think, you know, now I have enough to just kind of not really, I I don't know, we'll have to just see, as you said, never say never. But I'm saying the way I see Mm. it now, there's this huge treasure box and, you know, Mm. one jewel a day. That's all I need to do. I don't need to, you know, I can be doing something else alongside that. Hmm. And, you know, I was looking at the thank yous and I saw Chinmay Tumbe's name here. He's like written a really good book on uh, on migrations and all. I remember. So what, what did like what was his? You know, so Chinmay has what? done some very interesting research uh, on various aspects. In fact, we were going to do we were work planning to do this together, which is a, a paper on the China the Sindhis in China, which is a fabulous ah. story. So we had started and yeah, I just never got around to doing it, and then somebody else came out with a paper. Huh on the same mm-hmm. subject, which is different mm-hmm. from the data that I was collecting. And also what I would have is a lot of historical information, which was not in that. But anyway, I'm not sure whether we're going to do it or not. But what I've said, thank you to him for, is his research on the Motuani family. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Chicago Radio. Yes, oh, that's right. Now, of course, that story has also come out quite, uh, like yesterday there was, the, uh, or was it the day before, BBC had a really comprehensive story about uh, a BBC blog or a website or mm. something. I read that and I passed it around. Like I have this WhatsApp broadcast group, which I send out stuff to. 
people who want to know more and this this motwani is possibly a, an ancestor of the guy who's a filmmaker right yeah 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 he comes from that family yeah that's right okay 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 great very interesting yeah. so it's like nice to make these connections also while i'm reading and i'm saying oh familiar surname <laughs> you know perhaps yeah. this person and perhaps yeah, that's going yeah. yeah some of the uh, surnames are quite distinctive actually yeah yes of course yeah it's not a generic surname so immediately you know yeah. like you know <laughs> that we, it's this particular family So yeah so Saz I could continue talking to you it's a very interesting book very nice and it's like really well put together I love these illustrations as well you know uh, by Shubhodeep very nice thank you so and much. and I, it made me think whether he has a history part where, where like a lot of people from Punjab Sindh I am not sure I don't think so but he does come from um, you know an affluent family of Bengal and uh, mm-hmm. i think he could really relate to this story he was very very interested in this i mean he's become very interested in this uh, period of history and i mean mm-hmm. he did such an amazing job i was like like and he was so uh, i mean he's a he's a senior person he works he worked as in senior roles in the corporate world in bombay and in films but okay. he was so very accommodating you know like i would ask him to do something and then he'd do it and then i would ask him to make a change and then he'd make the change and then i'd think of something else and then he'd do that again and he never complained even once and i would be really embarrassed and he would just say oh of course and he would just do it and he's an absolute genius if you look at the uh quality of first of all the impact of the picture and then he, he's not a young person he's um, like probably about 15 years younger than me or maybe more Hmm. So I guess that makes him very very young. What <laughs> <Well>, nonsense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and on that note we shall end. Uh for the listeners go out and get Losing Home Finding Home by Saz Agarwal. It gives a great uh you know insight into the Sindhi community and even if you're I mean like even if you're not a Sindhi yourself it is a part of our history as in the partition history and it's like it's come out this week. in time for the you know uh, celebrations and well also memories of the partition which come with the, with the celebrations sadly but it's a really love it's a really interesting book and it it gives you an idea gives a reader an idea what life was like before the whole disaster happened and how people rebuilt their lives and you know how how um, enterprising and how admirable they were So thank you Saz so much for talking to me. Thank you so much Manjula. Thank you. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.